river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the Welcome back to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here. What's going on, Bob the Bowhunter Borland? Oh, man, we're just uh, back at it. We just interviewed an absolute stud, and it was great telling some hunting stories and wealth of knowledge. So I'm doing great right now. Man, I am too. It's so good to, you know, to get back online uh, with the podcast and, and to get somebody uh, like Brian on that's just living the trad quest. Yeah, for sure. He's uh, He's our age, you know, he's turning 40 in a couple days and we had his dad on several months ago and his dad was saying you need to get him on talk about some mule deer he's a mule deer hunting machine he stocks up shooting him at five yards you know he's just like the master it's like he's killed like eight bucks over 180 so i i started calling brian and he's a you know, he just had a baby. He's a busy guy. He works his tail off. He's a brick mason and, you know, we're always busy. So I've been playing phone tag with him now for months. And finally today it was like, Hey, could you do it at three? He's like, yeah, I can do it. So we got him on and he just killed the giant white tail like two weeks ago. So we kind of went down the white tail path. We never even got to the mule deer. So eh, that's the way it goes. No, we didn't even get to the mule deer. <laughs> so, uh, Western, Western white tails, uh, with Brian. Kelzer. Yep. And he spent, just so you guys um, know, he spent 800 days in a tree stand so far. He's turned 40 in a couple days. So he's... 800 he, days in a tree stand. He bow hunts a little bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. I sure did. I'm uh, getting super excited about the the deer season and... Um, definitely, uh, don't forget to check us out on Instagram. We're doing a giveaway right now, giving a shirt and a hat away. We've got some big giveaways coming up though this fall. So, uh, stay posted for that. Um, what else do we got going on, Bob? Not much. We got a bunch of them lined up cause we're taking off to go hunting again. So we're going to try to knock out a few of them this week and we're, uh, you know, just living the dream. Wives are mad because we were gone hunting. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's about it. And they're getting they're getting ready to get madder. <laughs> I know. We're getting ready to go yeah, hunting again. Yeah, been some rough nights around the Borland household. So uh, that's I'm just doing honeydews. And yeah, uh, and after uh, after that long elk hunt, and now we got a mule deer hunt uh, coming up here in about 10, 10, 12 days. After this interview, I'm thinking about whitetails and. I'm already kind of hoping I maybe can slide a whitetail in somewhere after. I'll start trying to trying to talk her into it after this hunt. Yeah, I hope you do, man. It it'd be a f- good time. I'm there's no way I'm sliding anything else in this for me. That's for sure. <laughs> so awesome. Often well, live vicariously uh, through you guys, and also also we'll have to get we got to get Andy on too when he gets back. Andy's leaving. Day after tomorrow to head to Kodiak, uh, yeah, Sitka Blacktails, addictive archery. So I, we're gonna have yes. to get him on and talk about his adventures. And he borrowed my 44 mag in case he runs into some bears. So, uh, 
I guess the weather forecast up there is just love. pouring rain. So we'll see how it goes. Ooh. I just love this time of year, man. Deer season. I don't care if it's blacktails or mule deer or whitetails. There's just something about the, all the leaves changing and the cold, crisp mornings and the bucks starting to, uh, you know, go from being total recluses to, uh, showing themselves during daylight hours. It's, it's, it's exciting time. Heck yeah, man. Feels like, uh, the time you should be out hunting for sure. Definitely. So here's some Western whitetails for you guys. We hope you love it. Yeah. Brian Kelzer right. out of Montana. Yep. Wait, yeah. We, yeah. we had, we had his dad on earlier in the, in the year and, and, um, we're been trying to get Brian on and we're super excited to have you. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started and where you're from and whatnot. Well, uh, born and raised southwest Montana, a uh, little town outside of Bozeman called Three Forks. Um, traditional archery, pretty much, I, I was born into it. Uh, my first bow was made for me when I was born by, uh, by a man named Bob Savage. Uh, fine gentleman, you guys may or may not uh, know of him. Absolutely. He's, uh, oh, he's a... Uh, uh, geez, he's 80 years old now, ish, right around in there, but, uh, still, still kicking. And he was Paul Schaefer's instructor when Paul was starting to learn to build bows and stuff. And he made me a little 15 pound, uh, one piece recurve when I was born. And, uh, that was my little bow. I started shooting when I was young and ended up shooting my gophers and carp with it and all that when, when I was just a little whippersnapper and I still got that bow on the mantle of my fireplace ready for ready for my boy to to fling some arrows with it when he's big enough so cool um yeah yeah like i said i was you know fortunate to be born into uh into the into the traditional bow hunting world and you know when i was young i just spent a lot of time looking at my dad's photo albums and all the pages of of all the people that were you know, in, in my small little mind, it was just, you know, old friends of dads and stuff like that. But uh, it was always cool to, you know, see the also the Wenzels and Lee Poole and Schaefer and Paul Bruner. And boy, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and just have them, you know, stop by the house here and there and, and all that. And then once I got a little bit older, I realized that, holy smokes, these guys are, you know, living legends. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun to be able to grow up and get to call all those guys my friends now and and yeah, I, I could go on a long time about that, but it's it's been quite the amazing ride. <laughs> and and how old are you now, Brian? I am going to be forty in a couple of days. Oh wow. Oh awesome Happy birthday. <laughs> so, uh, so so have so you ever even your, Oh go ahead, James. Sorry. Is your birthday the eighteenth? It's the 20th. 20th, all right. Well, you're uh, eight days older than me. Okay, gotcha. Well, <laughs> happy belated birthday to you then. Uh, thanks, man. So, Brian, growing up around all those guys, did you ever did you ever shoot a compound? I know most people our age kind of started with the compound and then went to traditional, but you you kind of have always been born into it. Did you ever dabble in the other other side? Nope, I never have. 
you know, I'd, I'd shoot my buddies bows here or there or something like that. And I honestly didn't, didn't find it terribly appealing. Um, just like I said, growing up ever since I was, you know, geez, when did I start shooting? Probably five years old. My dad started letting me shoot that, shoot that little bow that, that Savage built for me. And I, you know, it's never even crossed my mind to, to do anything else. Well, since we're speaking on equipment, what what does your equipment look like uh, nowadays? Um, I am ninety five percent of the time I shoot a Schaefer Silver Tip uh, recurve. Um, the last couple years, I've been shooting a Bear's Paw Takedown Longbow a bit because I've been having some trouble with uh, with my elbows. The, the tough life that a stonemason leads, and I had to have some pretty major surgery this uh, late this last winter on my right elbow, and I haven't been able my my recurve hasn't been sitting in my hand very very comfortably the last few years, and I've needed something I can kind of I I need to grip more than just let it sit there, and my bear's paw takedown longbow has been kind of the the thing fitting the bill, so I've. Sh- Shot it a little bit the last couple of years, but this year after my surgery, I've, I've been shooting it exclusively. As far as arrows, I used to be, uh, I, I shot aluminum for a long time when I was in high school because we'd get like bulk aluminum arrows for, for pretty cheap, like the XX75s, and I'd go through them like crazy shooting at whatever. Um, then I kind of went through a phase where I shot uh, wood arrows. I was making my own, own doing the turkey feather fletching and all that but boy since i since i started shooting carbons here about 10 years ago i haven't looked back you know i watch my groups just go from good to to excellent by doing nothing else but changing the carbon arrows and i appreciate the fact that they don't uh they don't care what the weather is outside or if i drop my bow out of my tree or anything silly throw my pack on my bow something so i've been shooting the uh easton classics now and and as far as broadheads uh i'm exclusively shooting the three blade non-vented 150 grain vpas and have been for uh a good handful of years now very cool so have you had any penetration issues running the three blade head uh no no none at all um it's I shot two blade for a long time. I shot Zwickies and Magnus. Uh, oh, geez, I probably shot Magnus two blades up until about 2005, I think it was. And I I appreciated the penetration of a two blade broadhead, but I was just never satisfied with the blood trails I get because those two blade holes just like to to shut down, and especially with greasy crit like bears and stuff they can plug up a two blade hole pretty easy and when i started shooting three blades and dabbling with them uh i never had any trouble with with blood trails and these big 150 grain vpas they're uh they're a very hard steel it takes a little bit of work to get an edge on them but once you get an edge on them um i i rarely shoot an animal that i don't get a complete pass through right now regardless of what it is what uh what pounded are you shooting? Uh, 65 is my my go-to uh, silver tip 
Um, when the weather starts to get a little cold, uh, I'll drop down to a uh, 59-pound bow. And when the weather gets really, really cold, <laughs> I will drop down to my little 50-pound, 60-inch recurve that is, uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt my elbows or shoulder when it's 20 below and I'm dumb enough to be sitting in a tree stand. Oh, man. So uh, what is, uh, what's the game of choice out there for you? You know, living in Montana, we're, we're pretty fortunate. I was counting on my hands uh, just what we have for, for big game species. Um, we got whitetail, mule deer, elk, antelope, black bear, and mountain lion that are all over the counter tags for me. And then there's uh, bighorn sheep, shiris moose, and mountain goat. Uh, if we're lucky enough to draw one of those tags and, and I've been fortunate, I've drawn moose and goat in my life. So I, I got a pretty mixed bag every year. You know, there's a, a lot of days that I'll, I'll hunt up to three species in a day, you know, go after elk in the morning, then leave the elk and mess around with some antelope midday and then go hop in a tree stand and hunt whitetails in the evening. So we're, we're, we're pretty darn spoiled out here. Well, I guess so. <laughs> and you guys get a really liberal season too. We do. We do. We have a very liberal season, our antelope season. Basically what, what it comes down to is we can hunt big game in Montana for 10 months a year straight. We start August 15th, antelope opens. Um, usually the first Saturday in September, uh, archery season opens um, for whitetail elk, all that. And that rolls right through latter October. And then our general whatever weapon you choose season starts. And that goes through Thanksgiving weekend. And we can hunt with our tree gear all the way through that. And mountain lion season starts uh, December 1st every year, regardless of calendar day. And that rolls right through April 15th. And the day that mountain lion season shuts down, spring black bear season opens, and we can hunt through the 15th of June for them. So then June June 15th through August 15th, it's pretty much uh, gophers and carp and messing around. So we're, we're not short on anything to fling an arrow at. Man, why, do, why does anyone get married in Montana? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be divorced for sure. <laughs> well... Well, I have been once, and thankfully, uh, my <laughs> wife now loves archery hunting as much as I do. So it, it was uh, it, it was it was a good deal in the long run for me. But yeah, yeah, I only go to weddings in in uh, late June to early August. Anybody who gets married in September, they get a nice present and a card and a high five when I see them. Maybe in the winter time. Yeah, you're no friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I know that you took. Uh, yeah. Yeah, really nice whitetail buck. Um, maybe we dabble a little bit into the western whitetails. I know that they are, you know, the most prolific game animal in North America, and they seem to be taking over, even working their way through the West. Uh, you know, maybe speak a little bit to, to your whitetails. You know, whitetails are a passion of mine. I I grew up, uh, like I said, in southwest Montana um, at the headwaters of the Missouri, so I've got three major river bottoms. So we're basically in my backyard. So uh, I still hunt the, the the same place I did when 
when I was 14 years old and I, I grew up just 10 minutes away from my tree stand. So I didn't play football or, or anything like that in high school because that, that looked like a horrible way to interrupt bow season. So, and I'd get out of school and my stuff was in my truck and I'd be bombing right for, right for my tree stand and my little old Ford Ranger I had back then. Mm, a guy with his priorities. I like white, it. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were, yeah. The coaches weren't too impressed with that, but I was like, listen, fellas, football is for a few years. It's archery and bow hunting is forever. So I'm, I'm going to roll here. <laughs> I love it. But, uh, no, I've watched just in the last 25 years, uh, paying attention to white tails. You know, we, we had good white tail hunting in the Valley. We had no white tails in the mountains or anything. And, uh, I've watched the white tail spread up into the mountains i watched them spread all the way down around west yellowstone and into yellowstone park now and there there was no deer there when i was young but geez there's white tails running around all that stuff now and they're uh they're doing well around here last winter was a little tough um we had some pretty good winter kills in some areas and the blue tongue shows up every once in a while thankfully it doesn't get right here in in the gallatin valley where i live our temps are just just a little too cold, but uh, now I, I was trying to count on my hand here at my last bow ed class I taught, and uh, I, I think I'm at about 800 days I spent in tree stand right now hunting oh. whitetails. Wow! So is uh. is the stand is that the only tactic? I mean, are you uh, ambushing? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Are you? Is there a lot of scouting? that goes into uh, the stand placement? Are you hunting funnels, uh, food sources? You know, what, tell us a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our country out here consists of, of all our big mountains, then the river bottoms, and then all the farm ground. So um, in my opinion, our, our whitetail hunting out here is nowhere near as difficult as the Midwest and the East Coast, uh, and I've hunted both. Um we get our big alfalfa fields and you know where the deer are living down in the river bottoms. And then you just got to look for the pinch points in the funnels where they're coming out and hitting the field. So I can just sit in my truck in the evenings with my spot and scope in the summer and, and watch and see who's coming out where. And our deer don't travel like I've seen the East coast and Midwest deer do where you see a buck here one day, then all of a sudden three miles away, he pops up somewhere else. Our deer stay pretty localized in in the, the patches of brush down here. So once you figure out where a buck lives and where he's eaten, a guy has a pretty darn good chance of getting a crack at him, especially early season. When they're in their, their feeding pattern in early September, that's hands down my favorite time to try to ambush a big buck. As soon as you get to the rut, you start playing the chance game, and you're just sitting there hoping he chases the right lady by. But but that early September is, is the prime time to try to try to get a big guy so why don't you i know that you you killed a nice buck this year why don't you kind of start at the beginning and kind of tell us um if you had you know if you'd seen the buck before in scouting kind of give us the full uh detailed story on on your whitetail hunt this year oh my whitetail hunt this year um <clears throat> truthfully it lasted an entire one day um, the property I have, uh, I've been hunting the last few years that it, it's up, uh, 
it's about three hours from where I live. I don't get a great deal of time to, to drive back and forth that far to scout, but I do some work on the place from time to time. And when we were there in July, uh, my buddy who hunts the place with me, who lives not far from there, um, told me that the, uh, the big old six by six that uh, we've been seeing for a few years, he's, he doesn't have very long tines. He's got crazy mass. Um, he's always been uh, a heck of a deer when you first see him, but then it's like, ah, uh, no, you're, he was always like, all right, if he walked by me at the end of, and I didn't shoot something, he'd, he'd be one I take, but he was never at the top of the list. Well, he decided to grow a drop time this year that's 12 inches long and has a club on the bottom of it like a, like a head of broccoli. And so we started, we saw him in July, got some pictures through the spotting scope, and he was blowing my mind. I'd never seen a club on a white tail in, in real life like that. Uh, you know, it was something that you'd see in North American whitetail or something like right. that. And he kind of hopscotched a few fields over the summer where he was feeding and living. It was kind of sporadic, but he usually ends up in, in one particular vicinity come fall. So I, I used that tactic and went down hunting last weekend. Uh, uh, in the morning, I, I got there on Friday evening, did a little bit of scouting. I did not see him, saw some other okay bucks, but I never saw him. And I sat the, the morning at a, at a real nice pinch point funnel stand that I, that I sit when the wind is right and has, has been pretty good for me the last couple of years. And oh, 15 minutes after I got in my tree, I had these deer start running past me in the gray light. And there's only two things that make deer run like that. And that is either a person pushing the brush or grizzly bears walking around the river bottom. And we got quite a few of them up there. And it ended up being two uh, adolescent grizzly bears, probably four-year-olds. They were like the 300-pound models of Boronasau. And they were cruising up and down the river. And I ended up having them walk by my stand set at, uh, at about 10 yards and I'm only oh. eight feet off the ground in this little tree. So I held real still and got some great video of them and had them go by. And after I let them get by and, and they kept moving down the river, I got out because they had, they had blown everything for a half a mile around me. So, so it started to snow that morning and was just generally a, uh, crusty day all the way around. So I did a little bit of scouting and I moved to stand at another location and about, Oh, one o'clock in the afternoon, I got, got back down to the field where this buck and we had nicknamed him Bam Bam for his big club. Um, we got down to the field that Bam Bam had been hanging out in and I was looking around and I saw some deer coming out of the hills and I put my scope up and they were about 800 yards away and it was Bam Bam. He was coming down the long grass and, uh, working his way towards the field. And I was like, Oh gosh, there he is. So I watched him and watched him get kind of settled in at this far corner, about 800 yards from me. And I did, uh, the classic trick of pretending I was a farmer and putted my truck out towards this center pivot and gave him just a little, little bit of a nudge and him and the other deer that were with him ended up, uh, running back across the river into the big woods. So I just putted my truck out and uh, went and parked where I needed to and took a lock on stand and 
and I had the right wind in my favor. I don't usually get a north wind on this place. It's usually a west wind, but the north wind that day allowed me to slip in, get down where the deer like to, to cross this channel of the river. And the, my, my tree options were limited to say the least. So I ended up about six feet up this little cluster of like these eight inch diameter trees. It was the only thing that afforded me any cover, but I felt like it was pretty good chance if, if the deer came back out for the, for the evening that they would, they would take that trail. And I was in my tree by about three thirty in the afternoon and at four, I had a few does slip by about 60 yards away, and they moved out to the field, and I started second-guessing myself, wondering if, if the other deer were going to be a little out of range like that, and I was kind of wondering if I had time to maybe change stands or do something and kind of glanced back into the thick willows and young river bottom, and I saw a flash of white, and I went, ooh, there's a buck right there. And just kept watching, and a second later, I, I saw his horns come out, and I saw that great big club, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this this might actually work. He's coming right to me, and he's the first buck I've seen, but it's snowing and just, just horrible, windy, every everything that makes conditions good uh, for hiding me only six feet off the ground. But uh, he ended up working in, and when he committed to come, and he, he walked by me at 20 yards, and I was able to... Uh, able to get a decent shot at him i hit him just a little bit far back and he didn't even know he'd been shot my arrow zipped right through him like he wasn't even there and uh he took a couple bounds then just slowly walked away and i lost sight of him about 100 yards out on the edge of some tall grass and he was angling back towards the river and i sat in my tree for two hours uh not wanting to bump him or disturb anything else around and about 6:30 that evening towards dark it really started to snow on me and i was wet and cold and i slipped out went and picked up my arrow walked back to my trout gave a wide berth around the direction he went and at uh gray light the next morning i i went back in and was figured i just go to the last place i saw him and then kind of start my search the snow had buggered me for for any blood so i knew i was kind of going into a blind and uh I got right to where I last saw him and he was dead 20 yards past that just in some, in some short grass. So I almost saw him go down, but, but not quite. So it worked out well. There was no grizzly bears on him, thankfully. So the recovery went nicely. Wow. That's, that sounds like a yeah. really cool uh, animal and a really cool hunt. Um, I've got a couple questions oh. about that hunt. So Absolutely. You used your truck to do like a soft bump. So he was coming out into the field and you just didn't want him to, you couldn't get to your stand. So you, you just bumped him out of the, the feedlot or the area he was going to feed, hoping that he would come back in the evening. Is that correct? It, it was an educated guess. You know, the, this place I'm hunting has quite a few center pivots on it. And there's a handful of uh, ranch hands that are on the place, you know, and there's constant maintenance especially this time of year you know when they're getting all the the pivots drained out and kind of ready for winter and all that so it's one thing if if i just got out and walked in the field as a person you know i'd scare them for miles but just taking putting my truck right out there to the to the center pivot and pretending like i was going to monkey around the deer see that every day and that's been a tactic i've used before if they just think you're you know i'm farmer brian out there 
they they won't really give you much of a second thought and they go back in the brush and they hole up and then they don't feel bad at all about coming out towards evening so that that was my tactic i i used and, and thankfully it worked and, and is your stand set up is that a permanent stand set up or are you setting up as you come in do you have several stands set in that area um how, how does that work for you you know, I've got quite a few stands set on the place. There are some that are producers every year. There's my early season stands that I just catch them on the edge of the brush, uh, you know, kind of transition areas. Or, I mean, some some I, I've got stands in, like, on, on irrigation ditches that are running deep this time of year um, that are out, like, on the edge of fields, and there's only a couple places to get across them. You know, a lot of these ditches that are man-made will be – flowing water or four to six feet deep but there's always gravel spots where we're to drive a truck across or just random shallow spots and deer don't like to swim if they don't have to and uh I, i've got stands set up in some oddball places but it just after watching deer and how they move and, and water what, crossings uh, yeah. you know yeah water crossings dictate them to do it they've worked out but this this one i went in totally blown I killed the the big deer that I killed last year on the place. I killed in the same patch of brush, but a, a couple hundred yards away in a different stand. I went in on this one completely blind, just hoping to find the right tree for the wind and for where I thought they might be crossing back through the river, and it it all worked out. So that stand that you killed that buck out of was a preset, or you set it up that day? I set it it up that day I, I went in and yeah. like i said I, I i got to the woods at about three o'clock uh kind of just stood there trying to figure out exactly what i was going to do and i didn't want to be walking around you know spreading scent and stirring right. stuff up so i was just kind of scanning from a distance and i looked at this little cluster of trees and kind of how the another little it's a inside corner of a river so there it floods every year so the trees aren't very big it's just kind of this stunted young river bottom a lot of willows a lot of grass and it's kind of just this nice little funnel point comes out then there's a dry wash and then this little cluster of trees and I knew I wasn't going to get very high so that little cluster was going to hide me and I decided that was the right one so I I swung wide a bit then came in it came into it from the direction the deer would not be coming you know so if they did smell where I walked it was going to be after they are were already past me and I just had uh four screw steps in my in my pocket and I slipped them in the tree and, and put the stand up and got up and our, our cottonwoods around here don't have a heck of a lot of limbs, especially down lower like that. So I wasn't up there sawing or making any noise or anything. I was able to just, uh, just screw in my four steps and, and hang my stand and all the wind noise. I, I was having gusts probably up to, to 20 miles an hour. So it was covering my, any noise I would have made quite well. Okay. And are you hunting eight to 10 feet often? Is that a, a, an average height for you? You know, up there it is. Uh, the wind, we get wind gusts uh, over 100 miles an hour up on that Rocky Mountain front, and trees don't grow very tall up there. So a lot of my stand setups, a high tree stand for me uh, up there in those woods is, is 12 feet. Wow. Okay. It's just, it's still enough to get you a shot and keep the wind going in one direction. I mean, there obviously there's benefits. I've never sat that low. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, most people haven't. When I've gone, you know, uh, and hunted like back east with with my friends and stuff back there, geez, I'm I'm looking at these tree stands, going, man, I'm either going to get vertigo or a nosebleed getting up in these things, you know. But uh, you you got to hold still. I mean, there's there's no two ways around it. Uh, other places in in Montana, I hunt here. Most of my stand setups are, you know, twelve, fourteen feet. That's a yeah. pretty comfortable height you know you don't i don't like to get too high when you're shooting down like straight down on the back of something i still like right. to get a decent shot angle but you got to be up and out of their eyesight too but just just the way the trees grow uh up on the front up there i i just don't have that option a lot of times so it makes me have to hold extremely still and have have the wind in my favor right right it makes sense um so is the the scouting for the whitetails is that is that year round um or how many deer boat i mean how many bucks can you shoot in montana um how are you are you are you hunting mule deer also how's that I do my mule deer hunting in wyoming um okay. and we only, we can only shoot one buck we get neither sex deer tag it's good for a whitetail buck or a mule deer buck here in montana. And I just can't give up my whitetail hunting in Montana. I, I love it too dearly. So I, I slip down and, and usually hunt Wyoming most every year for a mule deer and then get my whitetail fix here at home. But, yeah, it's a year-round deal. Um, the the stuff I hunt that's around my house here, oh, I, I probably shed hunt, oh, at least minimum probably 20 days a year. And then I'm all was just down in the woods watching them. I spend quite a bit in the si- time in the in the summer uh, watching where they're coming out of the fields. And I set a few trail cameras. I'm not a big trail camera uh, guy for the most part, but I'll usually put some up in the summertime and get some pics of the deer. Then then after the season in the wintertime, I'll throw a few out too and kind of get an idea who, who survived general season and all that. What's your tactic to, to getting the... the- the photos using the trail cameras i just put them on on crossings usually either fence crossings there's a lot of water around here where i live so water is there you know the shallow spots that they prefer to cross the creeks and ditches and all that are always great places to put the cameras up so i'll usually hopscotch them up and down water crossings and i have my best luck there okay and so um are you usually getting your whitetail in in September? I mean, do you, you, are you like to get it when they're on summer feeding patterns, it sounds like, before the rut starts? Is that the name of the game for you? Or? You know, it, it depends on, on the year. Um, my Wyoming mule deer hunt that I like to do, I, I usually like to do that the very beginning part of September because it's pretty imperative that I have hot temperatures and wind to get them to – to lay up in, in the cut banks and the tight spots where a guy can sneak up on them. Um, so the last probably 10 years or so, I've just been hunting mule deer early in September, and uh, and most of my whitetail hunting has been uh, October and November. Okay. okay. And is, is it normal buck, really, you guys? Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say if the odd buck really has my attention, um, I will I will spend some time in early September 
and and try to try to get one one shot early though. That that's certainly not not off the table for me. Okay, and is that common for you, you guys to have snow in the early part of October? Oh yeah, it's not uncommon for us to have snow in September. Um, last year, October, gosh, what was it? I think it was October fourth or tenth, something like that. We got blasted with a storm, and it laid down about ten inches, and we never saw bare ground until April. Wow! And it was a tough one for the deer. It got it got warm a few times, and the snow got super hard, and the deer could not dig through it. So one of the alfalfa fields I hunt close to uh, home here, that completely got taken off the table. The, the deer all moved off the property and went down river a few miles. And I was basically left with a ghost town last year. Um, so I definitely had to change my tactics then. What it, you get to hunt them in end of December. Is that we can, there's a few places in Montana that you can hunt uh, into oh about the 15th of January or so, some late season stuff. But no, our our general uh, season ends uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving every year, so we can hunt them right through the rut, and then it's pretty well over except for a select few areas in the state. Okay. Um. What is, uh, is the buck you took this year, is he your best buck to date or? Uh, as far as character, um, yes, he, he was a six point, uh, six by six typical. He had his huge club drop tine on one side and then another drop tine about two inches long and a split eye guard on that side. So he was, he was a nine by six, um, character. Wise, yeah, he's the probably the coolest deer I've ever seen alive. Um, no, I, I have killed bigger scoring whitetails. Uh, the buck I killed last year was was my biggest typical clean five by five. I, I hunted him for three years, and he was a cagey, smart old bugger. And oh well, let's stop. Let's back up. Let's back up. <laughs> so 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 you had three years. You had three years history with this guy. Uh. I have three years history with the deer I killed this year. And then yeah, three years history with last year's buck too. All right. Well, we, we, we'd like to hear that one too. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that was in traditional bow hunter magazine and actually in the current issue, it's called the big five. <laughs> okay. Um, but he, he was a heck of a deer. Uh, the first year I, I started hunting that property was 2015 and uh or no i was i started there in 2014 excuse me and uh i saw this deer it was when i was actually working on the place i saw him in the dark one night when i was he ran across the the ranch road in the headlights and it just floored me i was like oh my goodness that's one of the biggest white tails i have ever seen in my life so that narrowed my my search right there for for that coming fall when it was time to get into it and I got a few, I got one good look at him in the daylight. He came out and was on the edge of the brush and I got to look him over and he was a five by five typical. And he had this crazy time that stuck out on the inside of his rack. And he subsequently broke that tine off. 
uh, because it was just right, right where he'd be banging on trees as time grew. So he, he actually grew the point every year and he broke it off every year. Um, but I spent that year. Yeah. It was 15, 15 and 16 hunting him. And, and then 17 last year, I ended up finally getting a crack at him. He was this big guy. He did not like going in the woods. He usually stayed in this long strip of willows that there was just nothing you could do with them. The wind was never right to hunt it. Or he stayed in this big swampy cattail mess on the other side of this field where again, you had no place to hide, no cover. Um, a deer like that, you try to put up a ground blind on and you'd scare him for miles. You know, he had his kingdom laid down and he, he knew it perfectly, but, uh, he ended up, uh, getting bumped last year and the whole reason i hung this stand and it's it's the same stand i was in for the grizzly bears this year um i hung this stand because i watched this deer get bumped out of his field twice by ranch hands who would come out to work on the center pivot and he would never just run through the open if if any anything came that bothered him he would slip in this tall grass along the bank of the river where he couldn't be seen and then he would take this little funnel of trees, cross the river, and get into the big woods where he could just vanish. And I watched him do this twice. Once with, uh, trying to remember, once it was when ranch hands came out. And I think the other, the other time was when another grizzly bear was on the opposite bank of the river. That's what it was. And each time he got bumped, he, he had laid, did the same little escape route. And I ended up hanging this stand and just in the hopes that if for some reason he might get bumped and he might take that funnel for me and it was the 22nd of october last year i decided to hunt that stand in the morning and i slipped in and got comfortable and it was probably near nine o'clock in the morning i was about ready to get out and all of a sudden a ranch hand just came to pull out into the field to monkey with the center pivot and I thought, holy smokes, if, if he's out there somewhere and I hadn't, I hadn't seen him. I didn't, I didn't know if he was there or no nothing that day. And I'll be darned if I didn't see a few deer start slipping along the tall glass through the river and I could watch him for about 400 yards coming. And I, I could tell he was in the group. It was him and a handful of does and, and they slipped in and did, did the exact same thing. I'd watched him do the, the year previous that uh, two times and I ended up shooting them at, oh, seven, eight yards, uh, quarter and away. I had to let him get by because my stand was not very tall, and I didn't want him to, to catch me drawn, so I let him get just past me and shot him when he was quarter away. And, oh, my gosh, that that was crazy. Cranking big five by five, uh, one, 161. Ooh. Uh, yeah, just beautiful deer. He had six. Six of his eight circumferences were uh, over five inches. Wow, heavy. Yeah, uh, heavy, heavy. Did you have brute? Did you have uh, photos or sheds or anything of him? Never found sheds. Um, the uh, the guys who work on the ranch do a pretty good job of cleaning up the sheds every year. So I don't uh, I don't shed hunt much on the place. I find some sheds when I'm hunting, but I don't I don't pound it like I do you know other places. Look and 
And I had a few pictures of him that I had taken through my spotting scope that were grainy and, and not very good, but he always, you just couldn't get close to him. I mean, he just never placed himself where, where you could get close enough to get any sort of decent photo that wasn't zoomed all the way in in a spotting scope. Did you have him aged? You know, I've got his jaw, uh, in, in the freezer still. Uh, he was, he had no, like no front teeth, uh, abscesses where some of his molars should be. Um, I'm going to take the jaw off my buck this year and his jaw and big fives jaw in, and I'm going to have him aged, uh, here. I might even get to that this week. Cause I do want to know how, how old both these deer are, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if both of them were, were, uh, in that 10 year range. Wow. That's re- that's really impressive. Um, yeah, I'm a lucky. So with the whitetails, I mean, it sounds like that's, you're super passionate about it. And it sounds like the optics play a big role in, uh, the scouting of these deer in the, in the summertime and on the summer range. And Absolutely. Whatnot. Um, do you, do you, uh, I mean, are you passing up opportunities to hunt elk and other things to pursue these whitetails once you've got a good buck found? Or? Yeah, you know, like I said, it kind of depends on the year in the buck. Um, I like my mule deer early in September. I usually bother the elk uh, a bit in that mid-September to, to early October. But I, I'm not a passionate elk hunter. Elk, elk are enjoyable for me to hunt, but they... They don't, I like playing, I, I'm a cat and mouse kind of guy. I, stalking is my big thing. I love to stalk. I've never called in an elk and shot shot one. I've stalked all the, the bulls I've killed and got, got in on them. Um, and I like playing the game of chess with whitetails, figuring it all out. And when you go into the elk woods, you know, you're kind of just cruising around hoping to hear one or bump into one or something else, and it just doesn't quite do it for me the way uh sneaking around hunt yeah that, that the, yeah the methodical game of, of choosing the tree too do you have yeah. any um advice on you know committing i mean i i'm new to tree stand hunting i've been i hunt black tails out of a tree stand and i've been doing it for a couple years and you get to that spot and i can i'll stand there for an hour staring at the trees it's really hard to commit to a tree it seems do you have any uh advice on on setup, you know, there there's plenty of days that I still stare at trees. Um, I feel like <laughs> I've got a pretty good handle on on figuring out what to do in in a certain situation. And and the more years I play it, the more confident I I am certainly getting in my selection. <clears throat> but I mean, it all comes down to the scouting and and knowing what's going on. I mean, you can find a a fan fantastic looking tree with a couple deer trails maybe around it but is it the trail the bucks are using who knows i mean it's all about there and getting out there and scouting and and seeing what it is and barry wenzel has a great quote uh on tree stand placement and i and i often think about it when i'm standing staring at trees in the woods he goes i i would i would prefer a mediocre tree at the right spot as opposed to the perfect tree at a mediocre spot, you know? <laughs> right. So, right. 
some of some of my stand setups are a little unorthodox. Like this tree I killed my deer out of this year, I was six feet off the ground in a runt tree trying to hide behind a couple other sticks. You know, it was the right tree, but not a good tree. So uh It was it was, was your gut, it was the sign. What what told you that that was gonna be the right tree? Just an educated hunch. I had about three options where the deer will cross this river and and use this line of brush to, to get out of the field. And that little cluster of trees afforded me the opportunity to hunt two of the of the trails that come out of the river and they kind of converge uh, right by this cluster of trees. So I was basically playing the odds, you know, two, two out of three, if he took those, I'd have a crack at him. If he took the other one, then he'd be long gone and I'd be formulating a plan for another day. So that's, but, that's uh, the next question. So that let's say that he it didn't work out that night. He didn't come through. What are you going to sit the same stand night after night or are you moving? Are you mobile? Are you moving to try a different idea each t- each setup? I you can beat a stand to death real quick out here, and that usually takes about two hunts, you know. And and especially if you don't have the wind right, and and any of the other deer wind you, uh, or a buck sees you, or especially if an old doe sees you, you know they'll they'll come out, and I've watched does stare at trees that I've been in, you know, three weeks to go and got busted in okay. I'll watch does come out and stare at that tree and be like huh i remember when that guy was up there you know and i i'm a pretty firm believer that a, the best chance a guy has at getting a big white tail is going to be the first time you sit a tree in a setup because yeah. especially if when you're hunting places where there's more than just a few deer it, it doesn't take them long to get wise to that scent on the ground and something going on in that vicinity so i don't usually sit and sit in a tree day after day i, I found to be com- completely useless yeah that's great that's good to hear um are you for as far as your stand you're using screw on steps are you using some kind of lightweight aluminum stand or yeah you know uh those millennium uh lock-ons uh yep. that they're selling a few different models of now those things are fantastic they're really comfy and i like them especially if i'm rock hunting and i'm going to be sitting in a place like all day long or for a half a day at a time those are awfully comfy but uh boy my dad ended up picking up a lot of uh screaming eagle stands i don't you guys are probably familiar paul bruner started screaming eagle back boy a long time ago mm. and uh they are not lightweight they're they're pretty burly but uh, my dad's a big guy, and uh, they they fit him well, and they were a good option back in the day. And I bought a handful myself where I've seen them come up, people looking to sell them, get rid of them. So, geez, I've probably got, between my dad and I, we've probably got 25 Screaming Eagle stands and a dozen Millenniums that we, we kind of bounce around with. Awesome. And we're, we're starting to do some ladder stands, too. You know, you guys talked to my dad. Yeah, you did the podcast with him a while ago. He had a pretty nasty tree stand accident 20 yeah. years ago. And climbing up the tree steps, and and he, he's not too acrobatic getting into a tree. So we've we've got a handful of those big game ladder stands now that uh, 
that we set for, for places that he wants to sit. And I, I like sitting in them too. Um, <laughs> but they are more of a pain. I mean, hauling a ladder stand around the woods, one guy setting it up. That's a, that's a bit of an ordeal. I kind of like just slipping a lock on. That's um, going to be like my a rut. The ladder stand is going to be more like a rut, like a pinch point. You're going to hunt it more than one time type of setup. You're going to hunt it more than one time. Exactly. Just the travel routes that they're going to start using when they're chasing ladies we go set the stands up like that there and they're just there you know we might not hunt them more than you know two three times in a season but they're just there and we're not having to try to be stealthy and get in and out with one of those things is there public uh land available for for white tail in this lower bottom land or is this all private you know it's public land is is pretty tough around here for white tails there are some places that are all right but you know it's it's all farm ground so you know somebody's owning it and working it and most of the farmers and ranchers aren't that concerned about what's down in the timber because that you know isn't producing an income for them it just happens to be what they can't farm so the white tails live there and come out in their fields so i mean we're pretty much 95 percent private in most uh the river bottom country around here copy so um i've spent some um, some time you got trees. questions yeah i i've uh how do you stay warm when it's 20 below i know i always ask these questions to guys that spend a lot of time in tree stands because i hunt quite a bit in the late season around here and i freeze so what what are your tricks to keeping your feet warm yeah and your hands and all that you know we're it 20 below here does not feel anywhere near as cold i think as 20 above does in the midwest or places where there's a lot more humidity Mm -hmm. um we're we're so dry out here that it 20 below just it's it's uncomfortable but it's it's not unbearable uh i dress in some nice layers i like uh i usually do a synthetic next to my skin just so i don't have any moisture on me then uh uh, a couple layers of merino wool, and then I got a couple different outfits that I will I will put on depending if if there's wind. I got a, a Sitka outfit that those guys were nice enough to give me here a year ago. It's got a little bit bit of wind blocker in it, but it's not noisy and it fits really athletically. Uh, that is a, a great outer layer just to to keep it off me. And then I've I've got some king of the mountain wool too. It's not my go-to for a tree stand and uh sitting but it still keeps you darn warm but you know just growing up out here in my job i'm outside all day long all year long uh being a stonemason uh i i guess i'm just used to it you're tough <laughs> probably not too many other ways to say it but yeah <laughs> or dumb that that could be it too to be sad there's been a few days i've been wondering what the heck i've been doing out in a tree but okay you know, so... when i've been back to the midwest and ohio and Stuff. Oh my gosh, the humidity at, at like 20 above, I think that stuff will cut through you more than, than our just dry cold out here. Well, I know like yeah, late, I, late blacktails where I hunt them, it's always, it's always 38 and raining or 40 and raining or it's, you know, 29 and snow and it's always a wet, miserable and you just, I can't stay dry. So I kind of adapted my tree stand hunting to where I basically sit for you know, three, four hours, you know, till I'm 
it seems like after hour two, the first couple hours are still kind of warm and then it falls off real fast and I just sit till I can't sit anymore and then I'll move, still hunt for a while and go sit another stand. And I just, I did run into a guy last year up there in Northern Idaho hunting whitetails and he had one of those, an old one of those like heater body suits, basically like a sleeping bag with no, with, uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of pulls down and he, he said that was the ticket, you know, he said they're a ripoff, but man, he said that was pretty Those things. Yeah, those things are certainly, um, you know, it's a give and take when you start getting that much on up in a tree and you still got to like try to stand up and shoot and move when you're wrapped up like a, you know, (laughs) like a caterpillar in a cocoon, you know, Uh, um, but yeah, thankfully, I mean, my circulation is good and everything. I usually just wear some light gloves and I got one of them little, uh, warmer things you strap around your, your waist and can just little kangaroo pouch thing you can keep your hands in. And I usually wear 800 or 1000 gram rubber boots and some heavy winter socks with a synthetic layer, that little synthetic sock under a wool sock, that little synthetic sock will, will save a guy's life. You'll, you'll freeze yeah. to death with just a wool sock on but keeping that moisture wicked away off your skin is, is about the biggest thing I've found to staying warm and, and comfortable in a tree. And you're right. After a few hours, if you're not having fun or you can't draw your bow, make an effective shot, darn right. It's time to get out, warm up, do something else. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. When you can't feel your, when you can't feel so, your toes anymore. <laughs> yeah. You, if you can't feel it. There's been, a few days where I get down and it's like trying to feel a tree step with a frozen foot and it's like, oh boy, this this could be a disaster. Then you're walking out and you start to get feeling and they start to hurt and it was like, yeah, I think I was maybe in a little too long today. <laughs> do, do you attempt to uh, eat lunch or anything like that in stand or you just uh, wait till you're out? No. 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 Whitetail hunting in a tree stand for me is my bow and maybe uh, I'll usually take uh, a little plastic bottle of water. I don't like them metal bottles or anything that kind of are, are noisy. Just tell even taking the lid off those things is irritating. But I got this little uh, water bottle I take with me that I can just pop the top off of plastic. And that's like it. Binos, a bow, and a water bottle. I don't mess around with wrappers. I don't take a, I don't take a fanny pack. I don't take anything with me to the tree stand that to monkey around or be in my way. Wow. So, and what about, uh, do you urinate off, do you urinate off the stand? Not if I can help it. Not if I can help it. I know it, there's mixed reviews on that. Um, and people, people say it doesn't matter, but I just try not to contaminate my, my area with anything more than just my presence. Okay. So if you if a set doesn't work and you say you like to move around it, it, sometimes are you gonna just move over a hundred yards and, and still hunt the same location or are you gonna let that spot completely rest for a week or two or what are, what is uh, some of those tactics look like you know that all depends i mean and sometimes it's a matter of moving 10 feet to to get it figured out i mean other times you got to move 20 30 40, 100 yards, but sometimes, you know, I'll get in and, and my initial sit, I'll, you know, you can't see the deer in the bottom coming out, but you can have an idea of where they're coming from and you get down there and, 
and set a stand and realize, oh, these deer are angling down this bank that I can't see and I'm, you know, 30 yards out of position. As long as I don't bump anything or nothing like sees me, I don't scare a bunch of stuff. I have no problem with going in the very next afternoon, slipping my stand over and hunting it again. You know, if, if you blow the deer that you want to shoot out or you bump a handful of does or something, I usually I'm not, not that interested in going and hunting it immediately again the next day because things are a little stirred up and it, your odds seem to decrease. Right, right. Uh, what other uh, states have you hunted whitetails in? I've hunted uh, Kansas and uh, Ohio quite a few times. And how, how is that different from hunting the western whitetail, the Montana whitetail? Uh, Kansas w- was interesting to me. Um, we were hunting some bottom country and some hilly country, and you have just a lot of tree lines and you know grassy hills. So you're definitely in funnels and pinch points there. Um, Kansas, the, the deer weren't terribly wary there, but I was in a pretty remote part of Kansas, uh, where we go down and do it. And I, I used pretty much the same tactics for Montana. You know, we knew where that, where they were eating, we knew where they were feeding. We just kind of had to figure out some of these pinch points and, uh, and what to do with it. And it, it really felt like home. Uh, Ohio, on the other hand, I think that is the most infuriating hard critter to hunt is an East Coast whitetail that, you know, every tree has a hunter in it somewhere. And they, they have a pretty long season back there. And that's probably the spookiest, <laughs> yeah, hard to hunt whitetails I've, I've ever had to deal with. Is the tree stand uh, implemented a lot in Montana or is it? You know, I know out here in Oregon, no, no one really, I shouldn't say no one, but not very many people tree stand hunt. Yeah, tree stands are common in Montana. Um, we we use ground blinds, too. My wife shot a real nice buck uh, earlier this year out of a ground blind set, but she was 39 weeks pregnant, and she wasn't climbing into a tree, so we kind of had to <laughs> improvise. Um, and I've shot some whitetails off the ground. You know, we'll, we'll do pushes here and there. We used to do pushes more you know 20 years ago but now we really try to not push the deer and and bother them that much it seems to be a less productive way for the most part there's a couple instances that that pushes are very very effective here in the right spot and i've shot a few whitetail bucks on on pushes over the years and some pretty nice ones but for the most part tree stands are about 90 percent of our game okay uh your your wife she hunts archery or yes yep well bob you got you got anything well else? yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to get you back on to talk some mule deer <laughs> i know we told you we'd oh, try yeah. to keep you an yeah, hour we beat it. i wasn't expecting <laughs> to talk about whitetail today <laughs> <laughs> i know that's the way it goes well i mean it this that's why we love these podcasts man it's it's awesome talking to guys like you guys that are passionate spent 800 days in a tree we we can't just slide over that and let that go we got to get into some info so we'll uh we'll definitely have to get you back on and uh and talk some mule deer man wealth and knowledge i got a couple more questions uh, before we wrap this up go for it Uh, 
uh, in the whitetail world. Um, obviously, you being exposed to the Wenzel brothers must have been uh, having that access to those guys must have been, you know, very handy. Uh, who are some of the other guys that you look up to or have learned from in whitetail hunting? Um, you know, maybe some guys that we haven't heard of and some guys we have. Oh boy. Yeah. You know, uh, Gene and Barry were, were definitely influences, you know, reading their books, um, and, and learning from them. I mean, they, they weren't close, close friends with my dad. We, we didn't hunt together or anything, but it was always, you know, the pictures and the stories and all that. Um, growing up, my dad hunted whitetails a bit, but he was not passionate about it. Uh, I, I learned a lot of my whitetail and kind of by trial and error. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, one of my closest friends, Bob Morton, uh, lives here just about 20 minutes from me. He's 10 years older than me, and he started hanging out with my dad and some of the crew uh, when he was, oh, geez, 18, 20, something like that. And his family has some good whitetail property. And I've learned a lot of my tactics on deer from him because we, we hunted his place with him and, and still do and, and mess around. And he, uh, he showed me a lot of stuff that, that he kind of learned by trial and error, you know, 10 years ahead of me because we're, we're 10 years apart in age. And boy, other than that, I've, I've learned a whole heck of a lot about this on my own. I, I really don't hunt with, with other people that much. I, I, kind of a one-man show usually when i go out but uh a lot of stories and a lot of reading my dad had uh not to drag this out forever but my dad had the entire collection of bow hunter magazines from from issue one all the way up through you know the 90s uh and when i was young i've i've read every issue of bow hunter magazine probably 11 times <laughs> and i, I I just enjoy reading and I I've gobbled up about every white tail, uh, book, uh, article, you know, that it was written there for a long time. And I really tried to take a lot out of what I was learning just from the articles and the books and apply it to what I was going down to the woods, looking around, trying to figure out myself. Any books offhand that, uh, were, uh, helpful in your knowledge? Uh, the Wenzel books, uh, far and away. Um, I mean, I've got my dad and I each have, uh, Gene's bow hunting, rutting white tails, which was the first publication after that, it was called hunting, rutting white tails and the second and subsequent, uh, printings. You know, I've been through that. I mean, I've got every book that Gene and and Barry have ever written. And I just gobbled that up when I was young because I really thought those two were, you know, the godfathers of white tail hunting and, their books were the, you know, pretty much the, the Holy grail of what a guy needed to be studying. Right. Well, do you have anything you can leave, uh, an up and coming, uh, traditional bow hunter that wants to pursue whitetails? Oh yeah. Just get out there and do it, man. It's, uh, it's the school of hard knocks. You don't get out there and figure it out the first time you got to be defeated (laughs) a whole bunch of times before it comes together and it just seems to get a little a little easier there are some years boy it sure seems like a lot of a lot of work for a whole lot of nothing but still i think the best camel pattern out there is uh 
Fred Bear's uh, saying of uh, sit still and be quiet. <laughs> um, learn to time your shot. You're close with a traditional bow. You're not shooting very far and as jumpy as whitetails are. I don't, I don't like to shoot over 20 yards at those things. So put yourself in the right position and darn sure pick your, pick your shot accordingly. And by all means, pick a spot. Don't look at the entire critter. Like I still do every once in a while. <laughs> well, I think that's always uh, super sound advice. Well, like Bob said, we're definitely going to have to bring you back on and talk some mule deer. Cause I know that's a, a second passion of yours. Yeah. Yeah. That certainly is. That's what I thought we were, we were going to be talking about <laughs> today, but uh, no happy heck. I haven't talked about this much about whitetails probably in my whole life. <laughs> Hopefully there was something worthwhile in there. Oh, it was great. It was great. Once again, and we want to thank the listeners. We wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for you guys. We appreciate the emails we've been getting from all the listeners uh, making some uh, great uh, suggestions on guests. Uh, the guest list is growing. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Instagram. We're doing some give- giveaways there, some shirt and hat giveaways, and we got some big stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. Tell your friends about the podcast. And always keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot. Do the big old buck this fall.